Hello, 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 hello everyone, and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. I'm Dave Houston, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Thanks to those of you who are joining live here this evening for another rendition of CBH After Hours. Today we're going to talk about comic books, believe it or not, that came out today. Primarily X-Men, we're going to talk a little Sins of Sinister, we'll talk about what's going on in the world of Marvel, as well as addressing any listener questions. That's right, baby, we are live. I will be looking at listener questions, comments, and feedback as we go. Get them in here in the Super Chat. Uh, that is available. Get them in, in the regular chat, of course, as well. And as always, be nice and supportive to those around you. That is all that is required. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Can we hear okay? Can we see okay? We're here. All right, we're live. Let's do this. We're going to talk about... Fall of X Comics. We're going to talk Bishop War College. We're going to talk Nightcrawlers. We're going to talk Amazing Spider-Man number 24. We're going to talk X-Force number 39. And then we're going to talk New Mutants. Those are all the comics that I read today. And then we're going to answer some questions. All right? All right? Let's do this. I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of CBH. You can go to comicbookherald.com for all my work and legacy that I will leave behind in this in this world. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. Kids, children, and, and a legacy of reading orders. And, uh, and generally helping people enjoy comics. I'm good with that. <laughs> I think I'll be okay. Um, all right. Looks like we're working. Looks like we're clicking. Cool. Let's do this, puppy. Then we'll dive right in. All right. I want to start things off today by talking about we had some additional books added to the Fall of X lineup. We knew we saw what the titles were going to be uh, in Fall of X. The Fall of X is going to be Marvel's kind of era of X-Men that comes after the Destiny of X. It's going to start uh, after the Hellfire Gala, which comes out, I think, this July. And we know what the titles were going to be, but we didn't have any creator team information or anything like that. Uh, so we got three more last week, which I think rounds out the end of things. We're going to Uncanny Spider-Man is going to be written by Cy Spurrier. And that was a nice twist because the Spider-Man of that is actually going to be Kurt Wagner, the Nightcrawler is going to be masquerading as Spider-Man during this phase of things, which is interesting. It's a nice little twist here on Spurrier's Nightcrawler trilogy going from, uh, what was it? What was it? Spark of X? Uh, Way of X. Started with Way of X. Now up through Uncanny Spider-Man, we're going to have Alpha Flight, written by Ed Brisson. Ed Brisson returning to the X office. He was the writer of New Mutants, after and kind of in between, staggered in between the Hickman issues, uh, definitely one of the least sort of, I don't know, glamorous Dawn of X books, like Fallen Angels, written by Brian Edward Hill, got a lot more attention by virtue of the ways that it missed, whereas I think Brisson's New Mutants was kind of just slow and steady down the middle until it finally transitioned into the Vidaella Rod Race run, and then it just exploded, right? Then it took off and really became something special, um, which is not necessarily saying Brisson can't do it. It's just that he didn't do it on New Mutants previously. But getting another at-bat here, the downside of this is, of course, that the at-bat is on Alpha Flight, which is, I think, as we all know, the worst possible team. Um, Alpha Flight is awful. They are despicable. Anyone who supports them should be shunned and shamed. Now, for those of you who don't listen to My Marvelous Year, the podcast where we go through the history and origins of Marvel Comics from its origins to today, you will not fully understand the depths of my animosity towards Alpha Flight. That's okay. I will not be explaining them here in any significant detail, but I will just say Brian Michael Bendis was right. 
Alpha Flight deserved to be decimated. I look forward to it happening again. So I'm out on that book, but I'm in on Children of the Vault. Children of the Vault is going to be a five-issue mini written by Denise Camp, who wrote a really fascinating uh, limited run from Image Comics called 20th Century Men. Highly recommend checking that one out. And Children of the Vault is going to be Bishop and Cable, our resident old-timey time travelers, exploring and dealing with the Children of the Vault post Hall uh, Hall of X. <laughs> the Hall of X is actually just Daredevil fighting all of the mutants in a hallway sequence, a la Netflix Daredevil. Fall of X, though, is actually what's coming this summer. Uh, and Children of the Vault is is number one book I'm most excited about, uh, given the creative team, given the talent, given the topic, given the weirdness of it. You know, the fact that it's not a book that feels like it's going to fit in. I am, you know, I'm, I'm a little bummed about this this age of limited series that Marvel is going through, you know, because it, it'd be nice to see a Children of the Vault where it's like they announce this book and it's like, oh, yeah, that's an ongoing, you know, at least implying at least 10 or 12 issues of this weirdness. Um, I think five issues really stifles what you can do. Uh, but that's it. That would be the book I'm most excited about. Uh, Uncanny Spider-Man, I'm pretty excited about. I was not, obviously, I've not been a huge fan of Legion of X. I think it it's a muddle. I think it has moments where it could be glorious. We're going to talk about Sizeburger on Nightcrawlers today. Showing, showcasing some of that. Oh, when he's on, he is on. Like, there's some exciting stuff that happens in Nightcrawlers today. Um, but I'm excited for Uncanny Spider-Man. Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men character. I love Spider-Man. I'm curious why... Kurt is masquerading as Spider-Man. I mean, I think the one thing to take away from all these Fall of X announcements so far is none of these are taking place on Krakoa. None of these are taking place in any kind of identified mutant uh, civilization or community, certainly not a sovereign nation. They're all taking place in disparate elements. Clearly, that is going to be the Fall of X. Clearly, that is going to be some fallout. Do I think it's the end of Krakoa as a nation and and of that possibility uh probably just for the short term I mean my take on this is Krakoa should be a mutant haven the way Wakanda and Latveria have become just fictional places in the Marvel Universe that are just a part of the fabric and maybe I've said this exact thing before on a stream but if it goes the way of Utopia and is just done away with, and we move on, and everybody congregates back to Westchester, that would stink. <laughs> and there's a million different ways that you can you can manipulate and change the status quo within that, right? Wakanda has not been just one thing. Laveria has not been just one thing or just one ruling body, but you got to keep Krakoa. You got to do it. Um, so it will be fractured. It will be Professor X, sad and lonely, in his little world, um, but uh, it's it's got to stick around long term. I think the the wrench in this, of course, is okay. The sovereign nation is housed on a sentient island. Who could like get up and leave, <laughs> right? So what does that mean? Like like what does that mean if the sentient island disappears or goes away or is damaged, like we see in Bishop War College today? Okay, um, all right. Let's talk about this puppy. So those are the new books that have been announced. Um, again, I'm ex really excited for one of those because uh, Denny's Camp has not done anything for Marvel before. Uh, I am tentatively excited for Uncanny Spider-Man, and I will never talk about Alpha Flight again. This is the last you'll hear of it for me. All right. Let's talk comics. 
Let's begin in the Sins of Sinister. Nightcrawlers number three came out today. It is the final issue of Nightcrawlers. It is the final Sins of Sinister crossover uh, tie-in between Gillen, Ewing, and Spurrier's Immoral X-Men, Storm and the Brotherhood, and Nightcrawlers in the last issue before the final Dominion, which is next week. I am going to be here live with Ernie of Blurred Without Fear fame. We are going to do a Sins of Sinister post-game show. Again, that's going to be next week. Approximately this time, we will be here live talking all things Sins of Sinister. We're going to talk about Dominion, what we learned, how the event finally ends, what we thought about the event as a whole, and then, of course, in classic fashion, be discussing where do we think things are going from here? What's this going to mean for the fall of X? So I know folks uh, have enjoyed the post games that I've I've had the, the joy of doing with Ernie here in the past. We're going to do that again next week, again, about 6.30 this time on April 26th, a week from right now, okay? it's all, The uh, episode is already listed at, on the channel, so if you go to CBH and you go to the upcoming live streams, you can subscribe or like or whatever it is you do to remind yourself that that's coming, but that'll be a heck of a lot of fun. I titled this, Which Sins of Sinister Crossovers Are you know the Most Worth It? Um, because it's been kind of a roller coaster between... Gillen, Ewing, and now Spurrier, I really liked Nightcrawler's number three today. I I think it was probably the best issue of the three. I think Spurrier's work writing this Sins of Sinister Nightcrawlers has definitely been the most uh the most improved, right? Because for Gillen and Ewing, it was actually a step back a little because they were writing such good comics already, right? Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red are 1A and are 1B, whereas Legion of X, which is pretty muddled for me, Spurrier had room to grow, and I think Nightcrawlers, he's done that. Nightcrawlers is good. I quite like Mother Righteous as this version of a sinister manipulating religion and faith. Definitely has shades of Adam Warlock and the Church of Universal Truth, right? Jim Starlin, 70s comics. Here, we get some just delightfully fun, okay, we're in an alternate reality, and we're a thousand years in the future, what crazy stuff can we do? And just getting off on the thrill of that, we have a Galactus of Vengeance, a Galactus inhabited entirely by Ghost Riders. We have the best callback that this event could have possibly had, which I had no expectation of seeing, which was the callback to the effing juggernaut bullet <laughs> that Gillen put in the first issue of Sinister. Remember how the mutants weaponized, the Sinister mutants, I should say, weaponized juggernaut as a bullet to kill Thanos? That bullet has been, that juggernaut, rather, has been traveling in space ever since then. There's a map in this, a data page of destiny predicting and charting out the path of this juggernaut bullet and how it is going to eventually as you can see in the image, intersect with Galactus of Vengeance's skull. It is so ridiculously over-the-top, perfect example of the things you can do with Marvel Comics alternate realities. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. The general thread of Nightcrawlers 3 is you have Mother Righteous finally enacting her plan, sending back a magic virus to know how everything is going to play out back at the source point where the Sins of Sinister era launched. So Mother Righteous 
in in traditional sins, uh, sinister fashion, is not just looking to reset the timeline and go back using the Moiras that they discover and go back to the way things were because the, what is then to prevent the Prime Sinister from doing it all again, right? She wants the data for herself. She wants that knowledge, right? That cheat code of, oh, okay, here's how Sins of Sinister plays out. With that knowledge, what can I do now to sort of own this timeline? And that's been her plan this whole time. She's been accumulating through this, this cult that she has, you know, effectively sort of maneuvered for her purposes. She's been accumulating all the artifacts, the most powerful artifacts of the Marvel Universe and is using those in order to concoct this magic virus. It does not quite work out. It does not quite work out before her because the one thing that she kind of forgot about or or overlooked was the Nightcrawler, the, the Wagnerine, who gave birth to this sort of magic child that, that Mother Righteous was just going to sacrifice as part of her magic virus. Wagnerine comes back, as, as identified and sort of established in Nightcrawler's number two, and uh, ultimately gets the killing blow on Mother Righteous. What she does not do, though, is prevent evil robot Moira from returning at the very end of this, now fully in control of the Moira clones heading into Dominion. Just great touches all around. This three-issue mini is really flipping good. And I think, you know, through the first two issues, I would have said it's very easily Ewing's Storm and the Brotherhood. That is the Sins of Sinister tie-in that is, that is the best. Having read all of them now, really difficult to rank. Like, genuinely very hard to say what is the best of the three. I think the best of the... Because I think the best of the number three issues was Nightcrawler's. You know, I think it's the one that went out on the strongest note, actually. Um, and again, I've said this a few times, but like I'm I will very excitedly read some Marvel Unlimited Infinity efforts to to play in the Sins of Sinister environment. You know, I don't want to read like a bunch of flashback series necessarily, but I think every now and again doing tales from the the age of Sins of Sinister could be really entertaining. I mean, there's a lot of meat on the bone here, you know? And that's part of the the focus of this event in keeping it to, you know, what do we got here? We're going to have 11 issues total, right? Which is really limited as Marvel events go. Um, you know, like that's that's intentional, but it leaves a lot of meat on the bone. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it leaves you wanting more. And Nightcrawler's number three, I think, got in, got out with kind of the perfect the perfect approach in this final issue because it does it sets the stage for for dominion you know and the, the conclusion to come but it also is like it, it really connects all the dots for not just stuff that that spurrier's did here in nightcrawlers but also like kind of banshee's arc becoming this spirit of what is he it's not vengeance it's the spirit of something it's weird <laughs> i can't remember what it is um anyway it's good stuff it's good stuff so i don't even know if I'm ranking these, like, what my order is, it's probably still Storm in the Brotherhood 1, Nightcrawlers 2, Immoral X-Men 3, which feels bonkers to say, because I would have just assumed, you know, that this is, that I'm going to like the Gillen one the most, because I love Kieran Gillen's comics, and I can't wait for Immortal X-Men to return. Um, but yeah, I don't know, that's a sign of a, a fairly consistent event. Again, I think as crossovers go, as events go, 
in the X-Men universe, like Sins of Sinister is not going to go down as like a top tier favorite. Um, Dominion still has the chance to like blow the doors off the joint, right? And if it's if it's absolutely incredible, I mean, this does go up a notch. A lot is riding on that conclusion. I, like I've said a billion times, I think it's going to make a real nice hardcover. It's a good time. I don't think it's as good as like Ten of Swords, honestly. Um, now, if you're counting all of Ten of Swords, then now we have, you know, debates of efficiency. But, but focusing in on like the three core issues of Ten of Swords and maybe like one of the Hickman issues of Apocalypse explaining his past instead of the three that explain the same thing <laughs> from different perspectives. Um, I think Ten of Swords is probably a little bit better. Um, what was our event prior to this? Inferno obviously is is a different kind of kind of beast. But, you know, something like an Age of X is the one I compared it to last time. The Mike Carey written Age of X at the early part of the decade, I think that's a better comp, something that is rarely going to come up as like, oh, that's the best of the bunch. But, you know, kind of cultish fan favorite status, I could see. I could definitely see. So it's been solid. It's been decent. You know, it's a little better than average as crossovers go. Not as good as I hoped, but certainly not bad. And I'm still incredibly excited for Dominion. Really, really looking forward to Dominion. Um, yeah, could have been better, but it's good. I think that's that's a fair way of saying it. Uh, Kenji points out, poor Sean now has been killed by evil robot Mara twice, which is a good point. Like all those years of romance for poor Dilf, Sean Cassidy, only to be killed by Evil Robot Moira once, or twice, rather. Uh, you know, I did think today Evil Robot Moira is kind of a mouthful. We could just start calling her Morancid because she's gone bad, right? How do we feel about Morancid? Too much of a stretch? Let me know. Let me know your thoughts. Very important question. What was your favorite Sins of Sinister crossover? Tell me in the comments here. I'm going to take a big old swig. From our sponsor today, our sponsor is Dave's uh, Needs a Wash Hulk Nalgene Bottle. How often do you wash your Nalgene Bottle? Think, Ponder on that while I take a big swig. I'm seeing Kenji mentions here Judgment Day. You know, kind of partially an X event. Yeah, Judgment Day was certainly better, I think, as well. Um, Judgment Day was better than Ten of Swords in aggregate but not necessarily if we're just looking at the best of Ten of Swords, I would say. That's a, that's a, that's a conversation, for sure. Um, let's see, Christoph asks, would the coming reset be the start of Moira's 11th life as prophesied by Destiny and Hoxpox? Hmm. The reset through a... Cl- I don't think resets through clones are counting, no. Um, because Sinister has used... A lot, <laughs> right? Dozens of Moira resets at this point. It only counts if it is the original Moira X's mutant ability resetting the timeline, which right now I don't think she can do, right? I mean, she's not a mutant right now. She's an evil robot Moira. Let's see. It says Moirancid is not getting a lot of positive votes here. We got one in favor. We got a few hard no's. Um, we got stretchy from John, which is very polite. Thanks, John. (laughs) Um, let's see. Let's see. Tony says, I come for the unbiased, honest reviews, not hate baiting, but just honest review. 
I also agree, solid read, but it does not seem to change much. Uh, so I think I think that's good, right? Like uh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't think I'm hate baiting anything uh, in this generally positive appraisal of these comics at that point. So I think thank you. Um, let's see, no Moira, I no Nora. <laughs> We got to keep workshopping this. <laughs> None of these are hitting yet. I feel like evil robot Mario is going to have to stay. Um, okay. I mean, speaking of, speaking of, listen, speaking of hate baiting, it's absolutely egregious, absolutely unhinged that Moira has gotten more screen time in the Krakoa era of X-Men comics in Bishop War College than any other comic that's not Inferno or X-Lives. <laughs> How bonkers is that? Bishop War College issue number three came out today and it's got like two pages of Moira and Phalong talking about an Orcus plot and it's genuinely more than we've gotten anywhere else. <laughs> in in, the, um, in the, the Marvel Universe, in X-Men comics. Bonkadoodles. Absolutely unexpected. That said, we've got Orcus Moira schemes here to so like they sent in Fenris as an Orcus plan, which how this Fenris thing is working is, I I'm cynical, let's just say I'm cynical. Like like really Fenris and a few Orcus flunkies are doing this much damage here in Krakoa. That feels off. But uh, but they're there to try. Moira's scheme is to free the prisoners of the pit, to unleash Krakoa's sins upon the world. And Moira does not realize that they're they're unleashed. Victor Laval's been writing them for two years. <laughs> Moira has not gotten that memo, which is which is nice. Uh, but then they're also simultaneously, they being Orcus, are infecting Krakoa with this thing called Blightswill. Okay, but what this does is it actually gives Bishop War College surprising heft. Like, this is a more menacing, threatening Orcus plot than anything that has come out of the Jerry Duggan X-Men, the book which is most focused on Orcus plots. <laughs> It's really surprising. I had a few people today that were like, wait, Bishop War College is even canon? You know, yeah, it is. Like, and it's significant what's happening. Like, this is a real, like, pre-Fall of X kind of Orcus maneuver. And I would never have expected it in this book, which, again, is, I mean, I have to think is a five-issue mini. It's written by, um, oh, geez, I should have written it down. Uh, somebody who hasn't written something before in the X office. I want to say it's like Jay Holtham, but apologies if I got that wrong. Um... But yeah, like it's it's like this book has so much potential. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, I, so Bishop, at the beginning of this, he travels to this alternate reality where there's an X-Men team and they're all black. And there's another Lucas Bishop there like himself, but is like, you know, he's unscarred and, you know, looks like a librarian. And we get we get that fleshed out in bits and pieces. I mean, I, I genuinely want to spend more time with and on this alternate reality where not just the X-Men are black, but all mutants are black. Like it's talking about, you know, the civil rights movement, but then it kind of simultaneously in, in America's, you know, institutional racism, and then simultaneously doubling on that with like, and what if mutants were all black, right? Which is not dissimilar from um, that black mask series, which was called black, which was what if, you know, only black people had superpowers. It's all on a data page. You know, we don't, we don't live in that a heck of a lot. Um, but it's a world that is that is pushing for the kind of utopia that mirrors 
Professor X's dream in some ways, right? With these racial elements certainly layered on uh, more, way more specifically. And then you have, I forget what they call themselves, the Human Liberation Front, right? As the quote unquote, you know, terrorist group trying to, to you know, break this up and, and get their way. Uh, there's someone in an Iron Man costume who I'm going to guess is Moira because it's talked about Moira being the front of the Human Liberation Front in this reality. But it's an interesting alternate reality type story. We have not spent a heck of a lot of time there. You know, we're three issues in. Again, five-issue limited series. You don't get a lot of real estate. It's definitely one of the downsides. And it's, uh, it, I don't know, it's a really interesting book. I didn't expect it to have this much heft. I didn't. I don't know that it's a good Bishop book, necessarily. I gotta say, Bishop's a really tricky character. And unless you're writing a book that is like, deep in his psyche and doing the whole punish for war journal, you know, diaries of the man kind of thing. Um, you're, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces in this book and it's not centering Bishop specifically in that way, which I think could be a disservice to the character um, who right now, like, so we didn't talk about this last week, but okay. So like I was pretty hard on Scott Summers last week for wanting to do a genocide. I stand by that point. I'm still, listen, I don't want to shame you publicly, but all of you who are like, nah, doing the genocide was was right. <laughs> like, you are weirding me out, all of you. I, I saw a lot of you. And listen, like, clearly the fact that there's a decent amount of people who are like, no, nah, you can kill all the brood. What's the problem? Um, I, I think that is, is a different conversation, frankly, than just the specifics of what is the context in which genociding all of the brood is coming up? How is it being written? How are both sides of the argument <laughs> being portrayed and here very flimsily? But then the thing that I didn't discuss in all of that is in the data page conversation between the war captains, where Scott comes in hot and says, hey, let's do the genocide of the brood. Um, Bishop is the one who supports him. Bishops is the one who's like, uh, you know, yes, I agree fully. And Magic and Quanon uh, uh, are just kind of like, you know, side-eyeing each other. Like, what? <laughs> What's with these guys? Um, but Bishop is actually the one who not only supports Scott, but is like, not only do I support you, but let's get Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, to do a no more brood on the brood. That's even crazier. That is even wilder, okay? Given the history of no more mutants, given the history of the great pretender, it's been three minutes since she was back in good graces with the mutants. Like, like to be, you know, hey, let's go to her and have her do a no more brood as if something couldn't go wrong there, as if Wanda would say yes, first of all. Like that was, <laughs> that was even crazier. I don't think Jerry Duggan writes a good bishop. I'm just going to put that on the table, okay? The character's been around in Marauders. He's here now in X-Men. Uh, bishop War College is a chance to have somebody else step in and say, here's who this person is. I don't think that has happened yet. Um, and I think it's going to be a tricky one. I do. But, uh, but other, you know, in general, though, just broad strokes, like Bishop War College is a consistently interesting mini. It is. Uh, and then again, a lot of heft. A lot of heft from the Orca stuff, which feels, you know, very much like a prelude to Fall of X in ways I did not expect, which is super cool. We got a super chat here from John. John says, have finally been consuming your content after knowing about the general idea of the Herald for years. And then I discovered the podcast, too. Thank you, John. And thank you for the support. Glad you could join us here live talking comics today. Um, yeah, it's always funny. Like, I feel like I've been doing this. I guess I've, I've had a podcast via Comic Herald now for probably four years, um, maybe four and change, going back to my world this year, which probably started, we probably started in 2019, I guess. But it is funny when people are like, oh, I didn't know you had one. 
It's like, man, like, <laughs> I don't like marketing myself that much, but then it's like, oh, maybe I should do it constantly. Um, but yeah, thank you for being here. I appreciate you joining. Uh, all right, get in your thoughts. Get in, get in. Listen, I'm not debating the brood thing again, but I'm right. <laughs> and I'm the only one with the mic. So we're just going to leave it at that. But yeah, that bishop thing was was weird. It's weird. Nobody should be recommending that. Nobody should be going off with that. That's bonkadoodles. Bonkadoodles. Let's see, James says Bishop is a villain for not bringing back Malcolm and Randall. I'm assuming those are the two guys who come with him in the Jim Lee stuff when he, jo- when he shows up in the X-Men. Are those the two soldiers who are alongside him? That does feel kind of rude. <laughs> Especially rude, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if because they're time travelers, but then so is he. Wibbly wobbly. That seems like an open-ended question. Let's see. All right, big old swig of water, and I'm going to jump back into the next one. Let's see. Daniel says, I think Marvel wants to force the idea of mutants becoming gods away with these contractions. I'm not sure what you mean by the end there, but this is in regard to the brood and making a decision about wiping out a species. I don't mind that general direction for the Krakoa era, right? You have to make these larger decisions now. It is different than just the X-Men sitting in their mansion being like, should we wipe out an alien species? Like you were thinking about the long-term and the survival of the mutant race. I Those are things I like a lot, right? As far as how things are handled, as as far as, you know, we're not just trying to survive tomorrow, we're trying to survive tomorrow and a thousand years into the future for the mutant species, right? That's important and an important part of the House and Powers DNA. No argument there. I think if you're going to play with those deci- decisions, though, you have to make them a part of the meta-narrative of everything that is happening. They have to be a significant part of what is happening in your world building, a la Orcus, right? Mutants versus machines is is heavily established in House and Powers and is a thread throughout this entire era. It is perhaps the thread of this entire era. So if there's a conversation between Cyclops and Professor X and Magneto about destroying an Orcus base to wipe out a Nimrod, we get why that's happening. We get why that makes sense. Like, if they kill humans of Orcus during that, I'm not sitting here moralizing about Scott Summers' behavior. I understand why it's happening, right? I understand why it's happening. And listen, you could agree or disagree, but that's not really, the, doesn't really matter, frankly. The point is, it's established. You know the deal, and you know why they're doing it. With the brood, it's also fast and haphazard, and frankly, not even of a piece with the way that those characters in that alien species has been utilized in the Krakoa era to date, where again, the rules have been broken. A brood egg has been literally introduced here. New things can be done, and instead we just devolved to a very basic superhero premise and and one that makes Scott Summers look like an absolute villain. It does. Uh, So yeah, I don't love it. (laughs) In fact, I dislike it. I'm still rooting for Dr. Stasis uh, cloning his own Captain Krakoa to explain why Scott would do something so ham-fisted. It's not even like the decision so much as the ham-fistery of it. You know? At least be elegant in your genocide, Scott. Be more like Hank. Hank's got some elegance to his monstrosity, right? So does Sinister. That's why we like these characters. If you want to work the monstrosity, do it with some finesse. That's all I ask. It's all we all ask. All right. What else came out today? 
Do we want to talk Spider-Man? Should we save that for the end? Maybe we'll save that for the end. Save a little Spidey at the end. A lot of big things happening in Spider-Man right now. Um, what else is going on in X-Men comics today? We had X-Force number 39. Speaking of Beast, Beast's corpse is thrown before the Quiet Council by Wolverine. His booby-tracked, monstrous corpse thrown before the Quiet Council by Wolverine. We then have a quiet... We finally, I guess we should say, have the Quiet Council actually talking about what Beast has been doing. What's our fun little Beast been doing? And turns out lots of terrible things. <laughs> Too many to name, frankly. And Professor X is, of course, defending him to the nail, right? Can see no wrong because he's complicit. So to, to damn Beast would be for Professor X to damn himself and in a way that is uh, accountable to those around him, and that is something Charles Xavier will never do. Uh, could he damn himself behind closed doors and and kind of do that self-flagellation, you know, about what has happened here with X-Force and Krakoa? Absolutely, but he will not prostrate himself before the Quiet Council and do it publicly. And and we see that in his conversation here. Basically, when people are like, well, Beast, you know, he's, he's done a lot of awful things. Professor's like, who among us? Who among us can throw the first stone? Mystique? Certainly not you. Emma Frost? Not you. And it's kind of like, that's not the point anymore, Charlie. You know, they are on your governing body. We've already moved past that. How about we actually talk about the things that happened here that this person did and stop saying, well, other people did it too, <laughs> right? Let's talk about the actual people in the room. Of course he doesn't. Uh, the Quiet Council as a whole is generally kind of torn on what to do about Beast. Um, I think Storm probably stands up as the most heroic voice of reason as far as somebody's like, who like, no, this person did terrible things. They should be held accountable. Um, nonetheless, Beast avoids any actual governmental uh, conviction or attempts at like mutants apprehending him. And kind of what they net out on is, well, Despite his awful actions as part of X-Force, we all think we can agree that what Beast does is in the is in the defense of mutant kind, that he's on our side at least, right? Even if we disagree with his methods. So how about we just leave him to his own devices? How about we just leave him out there doing who knows what? But then as Sebastian Shaw points out very pragmatically, that means we can't be held to blame politically and diplomatically for beast actions. Right. And, um, you know, like, it's kind of like, okay, so we'll have like a second X force. We'll have beast force just out there. We're not controlling him. He's not reporting to us, but we trust that he's acting in the best interest of mutant kind. And then I think if you're professor X, you're probably thinking, and also he will talk back, you know, he will report to me because, you know, he's one of my first five students, you know? Um, so that's kind of where they net out is like, all right, let's just leave Beast alone. See what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Dangerous, <laughs> right? I don't think it's coincidence either that all this is finally coming to a head as Fall of X approaches. You know, I do think there's something to be said for Beast's just like heinous actions as head of X-Force. I, I don't think it's an accident that terrible things are about to befall the Krakoa Nation as Beast is removed from this position of power. You know, is it, is that going to make the case that actually Beast was right? 
You know, no, but I think it is going to pretty purposefully be raising the question about like, well, what kind of CIA do you need or do nations need or do, do they need one at all, right? These are the types of questions that I think Percy at his best is able to draw up. And I don't think they're, they're uninteresting premises, right? These are, these are valid debates to be having through the pages of these comics, which of course are not exploring them as thoroughly as, you know, an academic study or something. Um, but again, that's what I like about superhero comics is bringing big ideas, fostering thought, but doing it with big blue furry guys who uh, who clone themselves a lot. Um, the other thing that happens here is we get X-Force. A sage is officially made their leader. Uh, we get a new X-Force base. You know, there's a fair amount of turnover going. Old man Quentin shows up by the end of this. Quentin Quire has been missing forever. Old man Quentin shows up. He's being chased by some monsters. I mean, at the end of the day, Colossus volunteers to take a role in X-Force. We know Colossus, is a, he's been a Russian mole for who knows how long. Um, a lot of movement in this issue. You know, my biggest problem with the Percyverse comics is stagnation, right? Is we are 72 issues into Wolverine and X-Force, and for what? And there's a lot of movement in X-Force number 39. Good. Good. Love to see it. Uh, I hope that pace continues up and through the fall of X as things really spiral. That would be nice. That would be a nice touch. I could definitely be brought back in on these comics if that's the case. Let's see. A lot of poor Threnities in the chat, <laughs> which, yes, that's pretty awful. Um, so Deadpool makes a joke about not talking about Threnity, which is for good reason. It's a pretty dark part of Beast and X-Men history. Um, Threnity is a mutant who Beast basically, I mean, the shortest version of the story is sold to Mr. Sinister to experiment on as, as an effort to cure the legacy virus. Um, you know, we talk about the dark history of Beast, or I talk about the dark history of Beast for a while, and, and you still see people, you know, constantly being like, oh, whatever happened to Fun Beast? And it's like, you know, look back at the history, and like, it it goes deep. It goes deep with Beast, these bad decisions. And I mean, specifically, you know, I definitely have traced it back to Decimation, where he really loses his mind. But I mean, Legacy Virus really messed up Beast too. You know, this thing where it's like, we have a scientific problem, we need a scientific solution. And the chief mutant scientist couldn't solve it. He made some awful decisions, not being able to do that. Threnody chief among them. Okay, who I, I don't think is a character we've seen in the Krakoa era. Um, some conversations could be had conversations definitely could be had there let's see I'm just looking through the comments here i'm seeing Z uh r xerox says ben percy ghost rider has been excellent even if it's also been having pacing issues i have not read a page of it uh so i cannot vouch or not vouch for it i am mildly curious to check it out i'm not a huge ghost rider fan i think as is you know i like the concept more than i like the the actual comics generally i mean my favorite Ghost Rider stuff is probably the Jason Aaron, you know, during that very popular, like, okay, everything's got a legacy and a history phase, you know, alongside, like, um, The Immortal Iron Fist by Brubaker Fraction and David Aha. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite Ghost Rider run, really the only one that I would hold up as, like, something I enjoyed. <laughs> you know? Uh, but hey, if enough people say you gotta check out Ben Percy Ghost Rider, I'd give it a look. I'd give it a look. Let's see. I do think, you know, one thing that is, and I haven't gotten there yet, but I feel like as Fall of X progresses, I'm definitely hitting a healthier point with X-Men comics and Marvel comics in general, where it's like, all right, I don't, I don't have to read everything. 
<laughs> I still struggle with this. I still feel like I need to. Um, it's just the way my brain works with continuity. And it's like, what can it hurt? But the thing that it does hurt is then it's like, well, I know I don't like this book. And if you know you don't like a book and you keep going it back to, you know, at, at first is the problem with the comic. Sure. You can criticize that. You can evaluate why I don't like it. You do it 20 times in a row. You're the problem, <laughs> right? I'm the problem. I'm going back to this thing I don't like over and over again. So anyway, feeling a little healthier about that in terms of not feeling like I need to read everything. Speaking of reading everything, I did read New Mutants Lethal Legion number two. Charlie Jane Andrews writes a really fun Count Nefaria. <laughs> like, like this book is kind of like low-key doing a superior foes of Spider-Man thing with a beaten down and and less um, held in high regard Count Nefaria. You know, an early Avengers villain who was held in semi-high standing as kind of this powerful villain, but has really lost all that luster. And I really like the idea of Count Nefaria here hosting, you know, kind of like a boxing matches in his backyard to pick out a new lethal legion. It's some fun stuff. It's a fun stuff. Um, not fun stuff is the letter uh, Anders writes here from a Morlock about the mutant massacre, but it's really memorable. It's really good stuff. I, I, I think this issue is really good. I wish Marvel had continued New Mutants as an ongoing. You know, it's a bit of a bummer that it was dropped to miniseries status. There is no flipping way. There is no flipping way that a book called New Mutants Lethal Legion, starring Wolfsbane as the most known character, is going to do well enough sales-wise to justify more. And that, again, I'm saying this about a book I like. The, the, the reception and the critical reaction to this book is not going to matter. That is a book that is not screaming, sell me. Okay? <laughs> like, it's just not, you know? Um, which I do think is like, I don't know if it's going to be a problem, but it's definitely going to be, it's definitely going to be a semi-issue with this Fall of X stuff where all the teams are weird as hell. You know, and it's it's going to be a thing where it's like, okay, like what is the, what is the sales pitch on this book? You know, um, I think they're going to have like a few books like that where it's going to be like, and listen, I'm not saying that book shouldn't exist. I like the idea of a Marvel and an editorial that says, I don't care. What do I care? You know, I just want to put out some great comics. I love that idea. Truly, but the evidence of the way Marvel conducts their business is then when you put out a weird lineup in a book that seems odd is then even if it's great, Marvel's going to say, okay, whatever, we're still canceling it because it didn't sell well. You know, you could look at X Factor, I think in this era of, of Krakoa Comics, that's a book that had an a, a audience that adored it. To the point that the final um, issue of that, you had Leah Williams and, and David Baldian writing like, like taking a bow, <laughs> they're like writing thank you letters, like they're you know Michael Jordan his last game with the Bulls, you know, <laughs> like that stuff doesn't happen super all. Like Al Ewing got to do that on Immortal X Men number fifty. You had Leah Williams and David Baldian doing that on X Factor number eight. <laughs> it's bonkers, okay. Um, that book should have continued. There's no question about it. The star player in that book was who? Polaris? And those, like, that is the kind of book that the sales numbers are not going to be the thing that justify its longevity. It has to be an editorial belief in its quality. 
in an editorial mission that says we can take a hit on that because we know it's great. And we know that long-term, it's going to be good. People are going to talk about it and they're going to buy it down the road. They're going to read it in spades down the road. That's not how Marvel operates. They look at that month, did this issue do numbers? Generally speaking, right? Um, there's no flipping way. New Mutants Lethal Legion pulls that off. I would, I would absolutely be shocked. And again, not a commentary on the creative team, not a commentary on the quality of this book, which I just said I really flip and like and wish Marvel had continued as an ongoing. Because it's good. I think if you gave Charlie Jane Anders the chance with this crew and this book and it was still New Mutants, I think they would find their stride and write some great stuff. Like I said, like like sneaking in a, a mini Superior Foes of Spider-Man in this, really enjoyable. A lot of potential here. I don't know. I hope to see more. But, you know, and part of, part of the reason I'm going off on this is, you know, Charlie Jane Anders, no New Mutants. That creator's not writing in the, in the Fall of X. None of the books that have been announced. Maybe there'll be more stuff. You know, that gets announced later. I'm, there always is, right? Um, so maybe there's still an opportunity. But it does just kind of feel like, okay, like, you know, if you give the, in a bat here, how much of a chance of success did you really give this thing? Really? You know? And here it just feels like one of those kind of destined to maybe be good, but, you know, not get any support. So I don't know. I think it's a bummer. Even though it's good. So I'd recommend people check out that comic. Um, especially if you like just sort of kind of goofy teenage comedy, um, with the side of superior foes, especially if you, if you, if you like count, if you're like a huge Count Nefarious stand, first off, congratulations on being one of seven in that club. It's a very exclusive club. Um, maybe you'd be upset about this. I think everyone else will find it very fun. Very fun. All right, let's see. I'm going to review some questions, some thoughts. Get them in right now while I take a big old swig of this Needs Wash Nalgene bottle. I, I I don't think I've seen a lot of answers around. I Do you clean your Nalgene every day? Like, like how often do you clean your cup? Let's just say. <laughs> Generally just has water in it, you know? Listen, like once a week, sure. More? Less? Who's to say? Who can truly say? Okay. Let's see. Aditya says, I think Sins of Sinister can end with Moira no longer being with Orcus. They're a proven failure, just like her precious lives were. Sick burn. Uh, I don't, I think Sins of Sinister will not remove Moira from Orcus. Uh, she, I think Moira will definitely be with Orcus through the fall of X. I, I have no doubt about that. All right, what else we got? We got like five more minutes. Okay, again, your final questions, your final thoughts. And then listen, I got to get some dinner. I got to get some kids to bed. So many things to happen. So many big things. Oh, we didn't talk about Spider-Man. I guess I'll talk about Spider-Man a little bit. Uh, any questions here? John asks, do we discuss Batman comics here, gang? New guy, don't at me. Uh, you know what, John? I'm open to it. I'm open to the possibility. Uh, I have not read an issue of the Zdarsky Batman. Uh, not through any like particular um, uh, vendetta <laughs> or anything. I just haven't touched it yet. I still would like to. You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day. The only reason this is so X-focused 
is because House of X and Powers of Ten was so flipping good, <laughs> right? That's the only reason this is so X-focused. If, for example, the Jed McKay Avengers book became like the obvious best book in superhero comics, I would probably just talk about that all the time. And all of you would leave, but that's fine. <laughs> I, still, I would rather be reading the books that are good, fortunately for me and for all of you. Um, right now, X-Men are definitely still the most interesting and the center of the Marvel Universe. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man number 24. Speaking of Marvel Universe things that are big and interesting, uh, there's been this whole big wave in Spider-Man over the last few, um, you know, trying to explain what did Peter do. Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr., they opened the run with this big mystery about Mary Jane has kids now and she's married and she's not with Peter and Peter did something where everybody's mad at him and what did he do? We've been getting answers slowly over the last few issues. Um, basically what happens is MJ is left behind in sort of a timey-wimey alternate reality uh, Peter leaves, he gets pushed out, essentially, and he try, he's trying desperately to get back to her. He does, after stealing a bunch of stuff from Marvel Heroes, works with Storm and Norman Osborn, fights his way back to MJ, only to find it's been a long time for her and she has toddlers now. So we're kind of getting the, Zeb's putting the pieces together about, okay, how do we get from point A to point B? Um, I would argue it took too long to do that, but besides point. The most interesting thing about this, what's happening with Spider-Man right now, is they are teasing the hell out of... I think Spidey number 26, is it? That it is going to be the most shocking Spider-Man issue of, of the last 50 years, 50 years ago being the death of Gwen Stacy. So they're really playing up how upsetting <laughs> what this thing is going to be. And I just got to say, like, I am absolutely fascinated by what this revelation can be. I feel like they're setting themselves up for failure. Um, proclaiming that you have this idea that is that shocking. I mean, it, is it all PR? Is it all hype? Or do they really have something? Because the story doesn't feel like they have something. This story's not that interesting. Um, there are moments that are solid. I don't hate this run. I'm not mad at it. You lost Spidey fans who are mad at things all the time, right? I'm not. I think the villain, Zebwell's villain here, Rabin, the sort of weird god guy, does not work. Like at all. I don't get that element the most. But man, am I fascinated about this revelation super fascinated. So I'm curious what y'all think about what the revelation is going to be. I don't know that we'll have uh, time to discuss that today, but, uh, but man, what could it be? What could it be? I have no idea. Let's see. Banksy says first arc of the Zarsky Batman was great. Second arc is decent. Okay. I'm going to read it at some point. I am probably when I do my mid-year best DC comics of 2023, that's probably the time I'll want to catch up on that. I still don't think, the same writer can effectively write Batman and Daredevil ongoings at the same time. But I hope to be proven wrong. Air Harlem says you have to discuss a new really good Hickman book, right? Yeah, of course. We'll be discussing Ultimate Invasion as that comes out. I'm really excited for that to launch. Obviously, when Gods launches. Um, I mean, if, if Hickman's indie stuff wasn't, you know, was was actually releasing... <laughs> Right, all the Substack three moons stuff. Uh, I'd be more likely to discuss it, um, but the release cadence of that is so slow and strange. And I don't. I, I'm kind of on the trade waiting game with that. I guess you know, as far as all the three moons through world stuff, like I'll like okay, I like I don't keeping up with an email every week is just it's just annoying. It's just an annoying comics distribution method. Um, I, I'll read them all when I get the whole package, and uh, and see if that thing is taken off. I I really liked the. Um, what do they call it? The the book that's like all comics that kind of opens things. It's not super long. It's like 70 pages. I like that a lot. The source book like is a mix of like comics and like all their ideas. That That's not for me at this point. 
Um, let's see. Bill asks, will the death of Aunt May be a big possibility of foreshadow? Aunt May has died before. Aunt May died in, in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 400 during the Clone Saga. Uh, it can't be that. That's that's not that big. Um, the death of MJ. I mean, that's the obvious one. Because you were saying 50 years later, death of Gwen Stacy, you could kill Mary Jane again. That feels off too, frankly. That feels too obvious to me. And kind of uninteresting and done before. Like you can't just, I, that yes, that would upset everyone. I th- but I also think it would have said everyone, not just because of the quote-unquote shock of the action, but how kind of lazy it feels. You know, that doesn't feel creative to me. James says, Spider-Man makes a deal with Mephisto to undo her marriage and kids. Bit of a twist on one more day. That would be pretty dirty. <laughs> that would actually be surprising. Let's see. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, okay. All right. All right. I think we did it. Good job, everybody. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for the thoughts. Thanks for listening live. I'm Dave. We'll be here next week live with Ernie of Blurred Without Fear talking Dominion. We'll go as long as he wants to talking all things Sins of Sinister. Be here live with us. Please join and get in your questions and your thoughts in your comments, and we will address them as we can. That should be super fun. But otherwise, in the meantime, enjoy the comics. <laughs>